Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and I pray you know Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. What's well, a great day to be in the house of the Lord? Would you take a moment and welcome those around you? Make your way back to your seats. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Northside Baptist Church. Thankful that you're here today. If this is your first time with us, welcome. Uh, we're glad to have you. Uh, inside the bulletin is a place uh, where it, just a little welcome to you, a place where you can scan this little QR code and fill out a connection card online, or they're available uh, there in your seat, or they're out there at the welcome desk. Uh, if you fill one of the connection cards out here in person, if you could just drop that off with the ladies uh, at the welcome desk, they have a gift for you if you haven't already received that. Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Um, and we're just thankful that you're here today. So, so why do we gather as, as a church? Well, if you remember back at the beginning of the year, I preached a series on, on the bees. One of those is, is become. As we gather, we become more like Christ. We encourage each other to become more like Christ. Uh, we also become like Christ in, in serving, right? In, in growing and in serving together. And so there's a couple ways for you to serve um, here in, in the bulletin. One of the ones I want to highlight to you is that on October 31st, we'll have more details coming up in the coming weeks, but we're going to have um, a trunk or treat. Uh, so, yeah, there we go. It'll be fun. So a couple ways for you to go ahead and get started. One, there are some leafs out here on the bulletin board. You can take one or two of those, uh, some candy, some things that they're asking that you bring. Go ahead and, and get those. The other thing is there's a sign-up sheet, I want to say on the welcome desk, where you can sign up uh, for different games. So we're going to have different games, some things that kids can do as they come uh, through the different cars, and you'll be able to decorate your trunks. And so if you're willing to help uh, on that night, um, Please, please sign up for that. So it's going to be, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, another way for our students uh, to really grow and to become more like Christ is through summer camp. So you'll see uh, in there we have the date set for that. So Centra Kid, June 13th through 17th. Uh, that is for kids going into third grade. So you've completed second grade through the completion of sixth grade. Um, so that's for you all. And then Snowbird, June 13th through 18th, that is, that's those who are, who are going into 7th grade um, through the completion of 12th grade for Snowbird. So you want to go ahead and put that on your calendar, plan your summer uh, around that. But one more thing I want to draw your attention to is there's an announcement in here about our Wednesday nights in October. So for the adults, um, there's four Wednesday nights in October at 6 p.m. The men are going to meet, and we're going to work through the book of Jonah for those four weeks. The women are going to meet at 6 o'clock, and they're going to work through a study called Open Your Bible. There's a link where you can purchase that. Now, the women, you also have another opportunity. Some of the ladies have said they can't come Wednesdays at 6 o'clock. So Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock at Deanna's house, they're going to offer that same Bible study. So ladies, you have a choice between Tuesday nights at 7 at Deanna's or Wednesday nights at 6 uh, in, in the WOW Sunday School classroom where they meet, uh, you'll be there. So they're going to be the same. So you don't have to go to both, but you can pick the one that works best with, best with your schedule, um, and, and you can be a part of, 
of that. So, praying the scripture this morning. Psalm 106. I was reading in this psalm earlier in the week, and I came to verse 8, uh, and I thought, man, this, this goes right along with sort of with verse 7 in Ephesians 2 this morning. And this is what it says. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He saved them. It's speaking about how God delivered Israel. It says he saved them, delivered them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. Will you take just a moment right there where you are and just pray through that verse. However the Spirit may prompt you to pray, just continuing to prepare our hearts as we worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. After a moment, I'll pray for us, and then we'll continue to worship together. Father, we thank you, as we're going to see in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7 this morning. God, thank you for being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which you loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, you made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Father, just as it says in the Old Testament, it says in the New Testament, God, your deliverance, your salvation, it is for your glory, it is for your namesake. It is your power and your grace that has brought about these transformed lives. As we seek to become more like Christ, it is all because of your grace that has taken this dead man and given him life, given him a new heart, making him a new creation. And so, Father, this morning as we Focus in, God, upon your nature, upon your work, upon your purpose. May it result in your people just passionately praising you and thanking you and exalting you, God, for who you are. May everything that is said today, may everything that is done, may every decision and every response, may it be done in a way that brings you and you alone the glory. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, would you stand? Let's continue to worship together.
So I'm going to switch things up a, a little bit in the order of service. And so while the choir's coming down, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and open to Ephesians chapter 2. Usually I have you stand and we read Scripture right before I preach, but I'm going to change that a little bit and see how that works. And one reason for that is 
I forget to mention children's church most weeks until I come up here to preach, and then, and then you guys are already, you're gone. So if you'll go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of God's Word, and this way, in case we have new people here, I can remind you about children's church. So we're going to sing another hymn in just a moment after we read, and that's when our kids are going to make their way to children's church. And you'll notice in the bulletin that next week for K through second grade, it says no children's church. So the last Sunday of every month for the kindergarten through second grade, there won't be children's church for them. They'll remain in here. That way they can begin to learn to see what it looks like to worship God, to sit under preaching. But our three and fours, they'll have children's church every week. Somebody say amen, right? (laughs) Some of you parents I know. So um, so we're standing in honor of the reading of God's word. I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 7. Ephesians chapter 2. When you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Will you remain standing as we worship together? And children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Hear it, shout, shout the sound, spread the blessed tidings all the world Tell the joyful news wherever man is found, whosoever will may come, whosoever will, whosoever will, send the proclamation over vale and hill, is a loving father. So last week, right, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, right, and we saw the bad news, the bad news, right? It was a heavy message, a weighty message, right? We saw that apart from Christ, we have no hope, that we are uh, without God, alienated from life. We are dead. We are disobedient. We are enslaved. We are condemned. We are by children right under the 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 wrath of god by nature so the question for us then is this if this is who we are apart from christ where does our hope come from right where is our hope listen to what the psalmist says old testament right one of the psalms he writes they have all turned aside together they have become corrupt there is none who does good not even one so right The psalmist is saying, look, no one is good. Albert Einstein said this, I do not fear 
the explosive power of the atom bomb. What I fear is the explosive power of evil in the human heart. I don't think he was trying to downplay the atom bomb, but he was trying to to let us know the heart of man is evil. In that same psalm where he talks about no one does good, he says this, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Right? The psalmist says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, the apostle Paul says, but God. We know there is a God. And Paul is going to draw us to the very heart of God this morning. Where does our hope come from? So yesterday morning at 11 o'clock, we had the the funeral for Mr. Gene Roberts, who was a member of this church and loved Northside. And he was loved by many of you. Uh, All of you that knew him uh, would have loved him. So we're about 20 minutes from the service beginning, I've, I've talked with the family, I'm talking to some of our Northside folks, and the funeral director comes in and says, Pastor, um, there's a family in the other room uh, that requested a pastor pray with them. You got time, will you come pray with them? Like, okay. Like you can say no in that moment, right? No, I don't feel like it. Um, so look, introvert, family I don't know. Okay, the Spirit of God gives me this peace. So I follow the funeral director. We walk in there. He introduces me to the family. He said, they just requested somebody pray with them. Let's go in this room. So we walk into this room. We walk all, all the way to the end of, of the, hall, the room to the, the wall, and then I notice there's a body laying there. The body is getting ready to be cremated. Uh, there's, there's one lady that's, that, that's older than me. She didn't identify herself, but she may have been the wife of the deceased man. But there was one person that talked, and it was the daughter. And so I followed the daughter, and she walks up. She puts her hand on her daddy and said, this is my daddy. She begins to talk to me about her dad. Now, in those moments, it's hard not to internalize, like thinking, what if that was my dad? But you can't do that, so I'm listening. She begins to talk to me about her dad. Um, he couldn't have been in his late 50s, early 60s at the most. Had had Parkinson's for nearly 20 years. Worked at Disney World for 20-plus years. Worked at the Contemporary Hotel. And I stayed there like when I was 20 with my family. and So trying to find these connections... Um, So she talks for about four or five minutes, and then she said this. She said, nothing about Jesus in this conversation, nothing about God, nothing about faith, nothing about about church. She said, my grandma was really religious, and it would have meant a lot to her if you would say a prayer. Okay? So now now I know what's going on. I don't know for a fact this guy wasn't saved. So this is a side note. A word to you. Live your life for Jesus so clearly that when your family gathers, that's the first thing they say. So I don't got to question. I don't got to know. It's Jesus. Let me tell you, you love Jesus. Just do that for me. Do that for your family. It would really help us as pastors out if we just knew that right up up front, Um, if I don't know you. But, But nothing about that. And so can't help but think, all right, I'm getting ready to pray to a God that I know, a God they probably, they may not know. They've said nothing about him. Like, where's their hope? Like, how do I play this as I pray? Keep it general, keep it simple. That's how I started, just thanking God for this man, his impact in their life. They obviously loved him. They were, they were in tears. They weren't angry that he was, they weren't glad he was gone. And, and so just, just processing this, thanking the memories they live on. They don't leave those memories here. And, and then I just I just said, look, Jesus, you said we can come to you if we're weary and heavy laden and and they need you. I just begin to pray for them. And first time I've ever been in that situation. And thankfully, by God's grace, he gave me the words to say. And then I walk out and I begin to walk back into the chapel. And as I'm walking, the Spirit of God just reminds me, listen, Aaron, there are some people in this very room that you're about to speak to. They don't know Jesus either. And they need hope. So where does our hope come from in that moment? What do we have to offer? What do you have to offer people? Well, our hope comes from God. And so Paul takes us right there, right? Beginning of verse 4, we notice, But God, 
He has focused in upon the very nature of man, who man is. And now he draws our attention to the nature of God. And he says, but God. And he begins to describe God. So notice God's nature. I want to to point out four things to you. He says, but God being rich in mercy. Mercy. God's withholding what we deserve. Mercy. God not giving us what we deserve. What do we deserve? Well, verse 3 tells us by nature we are children of wrath. We deserve the wrath, the justice of God. We deserve to spend eternity in hell. But God being rich. That word rich means an abundance without measure, unlimited. God being rich in mercy. See, church, here's the reality. If God is not merciful to me, then I am still dead, disobedient, and condemned to hell. But God, being rich in mercy. But he continues, because of the great love with which he loved us. So he goes from the mercy of God, God not giving us what we deserve, to the love of God. Right? Man by nature is lost. God by nature is love. When did God love us? Did God love us when when we were at our best? For God so loved the world. When did He love us? Well, Paul makes it pretty clear here. Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. God loved us when we were at our worst. When we were dead, spiritually a corpse, and could do nothing for ourselves. Yesterday reminded me, seeing two corpses laying there dead people can't do anything they're not coming back to life we were spiritually dead unable to do anything but God loved us listen Paul is not preaching as some people might say and live their lives that God helps those who help themselves you're dead you can't help yourself that's not that's not what the Bible teaches I couldn't help this week but think of the hymn love lifted me I love when nothing else could help When there was no other help, when there was no way for me to save myself, when there was nothing I could do to earn God's love, when nothing else could help, man, I want to sing it so bad, but I'm not. Love lifted me, right? Love lifted me. But then he continues, drop down to verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. Mercy, God not giving us what we deserve, withholding that from us. Grace is the opposite. It's God giving us what we do not deserve. God giving us what we need, but do not deserve. What do we need? We need somebody to give this dead man life. We need somebody to forgive us our sins. We need somebody to make us right with God, but we don't deserve any of it. But yet God in His grace, this is what He does. It is undeserved favor of God. Hear me. No one is beyond the need of grace, the need for grace, and no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Amen? No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. He's rich in grace, and He pours that grace out on us. And then He says, the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness. Kindness. When you think about God's mercy, His love, His grace, His kindness, Paul is clear. This is God's gracious initiative. Why does God act on our behalf? Why does he act on our behalf? Why is God going to do the things that Paul says he has done for us? Is it because we're good? Is it because we do good things? Is it because we're lovable? God just can't help it. I'm so lovable. No. He does it because of his love. He does it because of his mercy. He does it because of his grace. He does it because of his kindness. So we have a contrast here. Man, by nature, dead and lost and condemned. And God is by nature loving and kind and gracious and merciful. And yes, we know he will condemn and he will pour out his wrath on all those who disregard him and turn from him and don't believe in him. But those of us who do, there's hope. There's hope because of God's mercy. So that's God's nature. Second thing I want you to notice is God's work in our life. What does God do? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Here's the phrase I want to focus on first. By grace you have been saved. Now I love this. Paul, as he's writing this, verse 8 is that theme. By grace you have been saved through faith. 
But Paul can't wait till he gets there. He has to go ahead in a parenthetical statement, just go ahead and throw it out, you're saved by grace. For by grace you have been saved. God, because he's rich in mercy, saves people. He changes us. This will be on the screen. But we go from condemned under the wrath of God to being saved and delivered from the wrath of God. All because God is rich in mercy and grace and love and kindness. By God's grace, we are saved. This week, I read about George Whitfield. He tells the story of a time he was preaching. And a man had showed up that night, and he came, and his, his pockets were stuffed with rocks. He came for the sole purpose of when Whitfield was done preaching, he was going to go up to Whitfield, take the rocks out of his pocket, and begin to attack him, just to throw the rocks at him. Whitfield preaches an emotional and powerful sermon. This man hears every word. After the service is over, the man comes up to Whitfield. He empties out his pockets and he throws the rocks on the ground. He says, I came here with my pocket full of stones to break your head, but your sermon got the better of me and broke my heart. That is the power of God to say by his grace. That man didn't deserve it. He was so hostile to God, he was going to attack the things of God and the man of God. But as he's sitting there dead and under the condemnation of God, God being rich in mercy, said, I'm going to empty you, son, so that I can save you. This is the power of God to save. This is what God does. He makes us saved. But what does that look like? What does that look like? I want to draw your attention to three Verbs, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together. So alive together with, that's one verb, by grace you have been saved. Raised us up, that's the second verb, raised us up with him. And seated us, that's the third verb, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So what does it look like for us to be saved? Paul explains that here. I'm going to give you a little bit of, of Greek this morning because it's helpful sometimes to understand the Greek behind the English translation. So these three verbs that I just mentioned, uh, alive together with, raised up with, and seated with, these three verbs, they're compound Greek words. So you have a Greek verb, and it's compounded in that in the Greek, it adds a preposition to the front. So it's one word, two words combined as to one. The verb with the preposition on the front. So that preposition makes that word, instead of just saying made alive together or raised us up or seated us, it, it's the word in Greek, the preposition is soon. In the English, we translate that sin, S-Y-N. From this word, we get the word sync, right? synchronization, to synchronize. So back before um, Apple would let you back up your phone to the iCloud, you would plug it into your computer, and you would back it up. You were syncing what was on your phone to the computer, so if this thing ever went kaput, you had your stuff backed up. You were syncing. So when Paul takes this verb and adds the preposition, which means with, he is saying what God has done for us, he has done with Christ. So by using this, he is saying we are united with Christ. We are synced up with Christ. Here's the point. What God has accomplished in Christ, He has also accomplished in you. Because you are synced up, you are with Christ. With Christ. And we'll, we'll break that down in, in just a moment. So, so that's the first thing I want you to understand, the, the with, the, the, the compound verbs. The second thing I want you to understand about Greek is all three of these appear in the aorist tense. Those of you who know Greek, aorist is past. Past tense. So when he says you've been made alive, you've been raised, you've been seated, he is saying past tense. This has already happened to you. This is God has done this for you. And then the third thing I want you to notice as we think about the Greek is it's all done because of Christ. Look what he says. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So your hope is in Christ. Now, what has he done for us? So I've already talked about how we have gone from condemned, right, under the judgment of God, to now we have been made right with God, saved by God, delivered by God's wrath. But God has also, this will be on the screen, has taken us and we have gone from dead to alive. We have gone from dead to alive. Let me combine 
two of these here. He has made us alive together with Christ. When? When we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together, verse 6, and raised us up with Him. Hear me, because this is really important. God first does this for Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul clearly talks about how Christ was raised up and seated in the heavenly places. So when it talks about being raised, it is first and foremost talking about Christ who was crucified, dead, his corpse in the grave. God raised him from the dead. But we are with Christ. So what happened to Christ, his being raised from the dead, if we are now in Christ, has happened to us. We have been made alive. We have been raised with Christ. We were dead. God has made us alive. Somebody say amen. amen. We are alive. You this morning, you're alive. Physically, yes, but spiritually, more importantly, you are alive because Christ has given you this new nature. You're a new creation, a new heart. You have been born again because Christ lives. Now you're in Christ and you live. I read years ago, somebody said, because Jesus lives physically, I can now live spiritually in Him. Because Jesus lives physically, I can live personally for Him. And because Jesus lives physically, I can live eternally with Him. Right? That's our hope. Our hope is that if we know Jesus Christ, that when this body dies and we gather around to, to remember you, we know that's just a body. You're with Christ forever and ever and ever. That we know that. Because you've been made alive with Christ. Now we talk about that a lot when it comes to just talking about salvation. We talk about Christ is raised, we're raised, we've gone from dead to alive. But there's a third verb that he mentions that we often, often overlook when it comes to understanding who we are in Christ. Verse 6, and he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now let me remind you, that's past tense. It's not, and He one day will seat you with Him. It is, He has already seated you with Christ in the heavenly places. So this will be on the screen. We go from disobedient and enslaved to united and delivered. Let me ask you a question. Where are you this morning? Where are you? Easy, Pastor. Northside Baptist Church, man, Noonan, Georgia. Yes. But where are you? What's Paul say? You, right now, past tense, are already seated with Christ. That's where I am. You see me. I'm here physically alive. My spirit's still here. But I've already been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You say, well, pastor, what's the significance of that? Well, we go, Ephesians 4 says, from alienated from the life of God, cut off from the life of God, to now we are seated with him in the heavenly places. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So what does that mean? We have been seated with Christ. Well, first, we have to understand that Christ has been seated. So what does that mean? So take your Bibles and go back to Ephesians 1. Just going to quickly recap. We talked about this a couple weeks because when you understand this, it then helps you to understand what God has done for you. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So where is Christ right now? He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Seated, not because he's tired, not because he doesn't know what else to do. He's seated because his work is finished and he is ruling and reigning. So he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. But then look what else it says. Far above, we talked about this, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So Jesus, right now, we talked about this, is seated. 
He is above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. He is in control of every president, governor, dictator. He rules. He is above Satan and his demonic forces and every angelic host. He's above all of them. He is seated there. And where are you? With Him. Not at His right hand. That's only for Him. But He says you are seated with Him. So what does that mean? Church, it means you got victory. You understand that? You got victory. Because Jesus is far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. And there you are with Him. So the world that once controlled you, the world that once dominated you, at the heavenly places, you are over that. It does not control you any longer. Satan, which used to persuade you and lead you and control you, Jesus has all authority over Satan, and you're seated with Christ. The flesh that willingly led you to commit all these heinous, awful sins, you are seated at the right hand, not at the right hand, but you are seated with Christ, you're at the right hand of God the Father. That's where you're seated. There is victory. Somebody say victory victory then tell me church why so many christians live a discouraged defeated life when the victory is already mine because i'm already there i'm just waiting for this body to die i'm already there there's power there's dominion christ has won and i am in christ i'm in christ look if you're wrestling with an addiction or or with a sin or just circumstances Take your mind and be reminded you're already seated with Christ. You're already there, and Christ can give you the victory. You don't have to walk through this alone. Seek out somebody. Be honest with somebody. Let somebody come into your life and help you walk in that freedom because Christ has already purchased it for you, and it's already yours because that's where you're seated. I don't hear that preached on a lot. I hear a lot about we're alive in Christ, Church, we're going to rule and reign with Christ, and we're already seated there, and Christ is one, and He has given us this victory. This is the work that God has done in your life, not because you deserve it, but because He's rich in mercy. Last thing, God's purpose. God's purpose. Do not miss this. And this just overwhelmed me this week. He's done this, verse 7 says, so that, so that in the coming ages, age after age after age, He might show... That he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying that in the coming ages, age after age stacked on one another, God is going to show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. God is going to display something. F.F. Bruce writes, sinners should serve as a demonstration of his extraordinary grace for all eternity. So back in, in, in my days when I was playing Little League Baseball and, and, and Prep League Basketball, you didn't get a participation trophy. You got a trophy if you won. If you didn't win, sorry about you. Do better next year, right? The winning team gets the trophy. Now let's think about the World Series. Let's think about national championships. When a team wins that trophy, what do they do? They show it off. They have a parade. They march down the streets or they march into the Colosseum and people gather and they're showing off the trophy. And what they're saying is, we did it. We came together as a team. We persevered. We put in the time. We put in the effort. Look what we accomplished. This is evidence of our hard work. We are champions and no one can take that away from us. I think verse 7, what it's saying to us is this. You having received Christ, having been made alive and raised and seated with Christ, you are a trophy of God's grace. No one in this room can say, wow, look at me, look at my effort. No, no, no. It's God. God who holds up each of us. And he says, he, she is a trophy of my grace. Look what I have done with Aaron Hornsby. Look at the mess he was. Wandering far from me, broken, in his sin, on his way to hell. But look at my grace, and look at my mercy, and look at my love. And because of my grace and my mercy, he has been forever changed. He is a trophy of my grace. 
John Stott tells the story of a fellow professor from Cambridge who was retiring. The faculty honored this retiring professor with a beautiful portrait that would be hung in the hall where he taught. They had an unveiling ceremony, and this portrait is unveiled, and the retiring professor was a man by the name of Dr. Gibson. And looking at this portrait of himself, said these words, In the future, when people see this painting, they will ask the question, not who is that man? but who painted that portrait? Not, who is this professor? Who is this man? But rather, wow, that's a good painting. Who is the artist? As you live your life, as people watch, your children watch, your spouse watches, strangers watch, they should not look at your life and say, wow, look at Curtis. Look at all he has done. Look at Aaron. Look at all that he has done. They should not see me. They should see the artist. They should see the creator. They should see the designer. They should see my Savior and my Lord. Because he's done this in me. All by grace and all by mercy. I was reading one of Spurgeon's sermons. The opening words, I I just really liked it, so I'm just going to share this as as we close, he begins his sermon this way on Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. He says, There have been conferences of late of all sorts of people upon all kinds of subjects. But what a remarkable thing a conference would be if it were possible of persons who have been raised from the dead. If you could somehow or another get together the daughter of the Shunammite or the daughter of Jairus or the, daughter or the son of the widow at the gates of Nain or Lazarus or Eutychus, What strange communing they might have with one another. What singular inquiries they might make. What remarkable disclosures might they present to us. Now the thing is not possible, but how how amazing would that be if we could have dead people who were brought back to life in this room right now. That'd be something, wouldn't it? But he goes on to say this. The thing is not possible. And yet a better and more remarkable assembly may be readily gathered on the same conditions. And more important information may be obtained from the confessions of its members. He says, this morning we have a conference of that very character gathered in this very house. For many of us were dead in trespasses and sins, even as others. But we hope that through the divine energy we have been quickened from that spiritual death and are now living to praise God. It will be well for us to talk together, to review the past, to rejoice in the present, to look forward to the future. You has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And as you sit together in assembly of men and women, possessed of resurrection life, you are a more notable conclave than if merely your bodies and not your spirits had been quickened. What an amazing thing it would be if we could get a room filled with dead people who've been brought to life. Oh, wait a minute. That's what we got this morning, isn't it? Dead people who've been brought to life by the mercy and the love and the grace and the kindness of our God. Where does our hope come from? That's your hope. And no matter what situation you find yourself, whether you are prepared, like an 11 o'clock funeral for Gene Roberts, or unprepared for a 1040 prayer with a family you have never met, you have the same hope. And his name is Jesus. And if you know that hope, church, we have reason to rejoice and celebrate, which is far greater than a touchdown being scored or a basket being made or a shot or a ball going in a hole. It is far more for us to get excited about the fact that God brings dead people to life. And listen, if you don't know that hope, then that hope is extended to you. He's saying, whosoever will. It's been extended. You have now heard the word of truth. You have heard the gospel of salvation. This morning, you can have the hope that is found only in Jesus. Will you believe? Will you? You may not have a pocket full of rocks this morning. I hope you don't. But in just a moment, we're going to stand to sing, and maybe you're going to clinch onto that pew. The Spirit of God is going to be convicting you. Come, give your life to Jesus. You're going to say, no, I'm a good person I don't need Jesus. I can do this. Or or maybe you've been struggling with, am I really saved?
been in church your whole life. You think, man, do I really know Jesus? And so every Sunday, the Spirit of God convicts you. You're, you're thinking, maybe I'm not saved, but pride keeps you from letting go and walking forward. Because what's everybody else going to think? They're, they, they think I've been saved for years. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. If you don't know Jesus, come to know Jesus. Because that's all that matters. Do you know the living hope that is Christ? Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father God, in just a moment, we're going to sing. God, I don't even remember what song we're going to sing, but we're going to sing. Words are going to come out of our mouth. Thoughts are going to be in our heart. And as we sing, Father, either we are dead or we are alive, spiritually. If we are dead, then Spirit of God, will you convict? Will you draw us to yourself? Will you bring us to the place of repentance and confession, calling upon the name of Jesus? Father, if we're alive, then would you cause us to celebrate? No matter what's going on in our life this morning, we can have hope because of Jesus. Because of your mercy and your grace and your love and your kindness. May that wash over us today. Father, may we leave here not confident in who we are, but confident of who we are in Christ. In Christ, knowing that we have been raised, we're alive, we've been seated. May we walk out of here in victory. A victory that you have won for us. Let me ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. If you have a decision to make, if you want to come kneel and pray here at the altar, the altar's open. You come while we sing. Father, we thank you again for the work that you're doing. Lord, how you're, how you're saving and changing lives. Lord, how you're helping us to become more like Christ. Lord, maybe there's somebody here today who, again, felt the Spirit of God, but for whatever reason, pride or something else, maybe kept them, Lord, from, from coming forward. Lord, would you just help them to know that it's not too late for them. Lord, to seek somebody out to come talk to me after the service and say, hey, I want to be saved. I want to... I want, to, I want to join Northside. Would you just pray with me? Something's going on in my life. Will you just help me? And Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask you all to be seated for a moment. I have a family. I'm going to have them come up front. Their girls are coming in right now. Brought them in. Got to have the whole family up here. All right, come on, girls. All right, so uh, this is... The Reed family, they've been attending with us for, oh goodness, several months now. They came to the church picnic, and so uh, we have Damon down there on the end and Elizabeth Reed. Uh, they are members of Temple Baptist in Illinois. She's like, I'm out. She's like, I see something back there. Um, so, uh, God, big brother's got you. So, uh, so, so they're coming by, by letter from Temple Baptist. I uh, had a chance last Sunday to talk with them and just hear their testimony. Uh, relatively new in the faith, probably the last three, four, five years, but, but love the Lord and excited uh, about what God's doing here. So, so this right here is Faith. Faith's in second grade. This is Hannah. She's three years old. Um, and this guy right here, can I stand next to you? Come up here. I'll bring you up front center. This, this is Ben. So last Sunday morning when we were talking, Sharon, I just asked Ben, have you ever made that decision to, to receive Jesus? And he wasn't sure 
And, and that afternoon, began to think about it some more and wanted to talk to me. So Wednesday night, we got to talk in the office and uh, Ben prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So, so that's awesome. All right, you can, you can step back there if you want. So, um, so he's going to follow the Lord in, in baptism. We're going to figure out a date for that. Ben, man, knew the scripture. Uh, I, I was, I was in, looking at first. I was impressed uh, with his knowledge. When I asked him who Jesus was, he began to tell me about Jesus. Man, he threw out the fact that he was born of a virgin, and so he knew some scripture. And so, uh, man, he, he knows the word of God. So I'm excited to see uh, what God is going to do in his life and in this family. So if you rejoice in the Reeds coming to join with us at Northside, will you let them know that by just a round of applause and an amen? Awesome. All right, y'all can go be seated. She's like, I'm out. I'm out. So look, I know we're still in, in the COVID days and everything, but if you just want to, at some point today or tonight, just let them know, introduce yourself to them if you haven't already. Just say, hey, we're praying for you. Anything we can do to help you, uh, just let us know. And, and that's, as I was praying with them, that's what I prayed. God, thank you for bringing them here. And now they get to use their gifts to pour into us, to teach us, and we get to pour into them. And help them to become more like Christ. And every single one of us as members, regardless of our age, that's, that's our responsibility uh, to love on them and to serve them. And so um, I know you will do that. All right, if you will stand, we're going to be dismissed with the word of prayer. Mr. Carrie Beard is our Dow, our Deacon of the Week. So he's going to come um, and close us with prayer. Don't forget we have our uh, evening activities tonight. So you want to be here uh, for that as we study God's Word together, as we teach kids the Word, teach our students the Word, as we grow closer to Jesus. All right, Mr. Carey, if you'll close us with prayer. Y'all pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this family that has come forward. Thank you for their decision. We thank you for this young man that has given his life to you. Oh, Lord, we just ask that you make them feel like family here. Let's make them feel welcome. Help us, our Lord, to do everything that we do through love. Guide us and direct us. Give us the strength and the courage that we need to stand firm in the time that we live in, that we will be an example to others about the salvation that can happen to all of us and that your love that can go through us to others. Just give us the strength we need. And go with us as we go our way and bring us back tonight safely. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.